0: is upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. Hey, welcome to Upbeat, and thank you very much for being here and for listening in today or watching. If you're watching this on YouTube or on the website, parkerkane.co, thank you very much for being here, checking it out. Appreciate you. Today's guest is John Meese. John is an economist turned entrepreneur. He is the CEO of Cowork Inc., co-founder of Notable, and host of the Thrive School podcast. And he's on a personal mission to help eradicate generational poverty. And he does this by helping business owners and entrepreneurs build thriving businesses, which is why he wrote uh, his book, number one bestseller, I might add, number one bestselling book, Survive and Thrive, How to Build a Profitable Business in Any Economy, including this one. And we break that down throughout this episode, which is just absolutely awesome. We talk about the motivation behind writing it, the process, also when he was able to do that. It's kind of important. This was just an awesome episode, and he shares with us so much valuable information, including some of the best tips from the book that he wanted to share with us so we could start implementing those strategies today. So thank you very much for that, John. It was an absolute honor having him here on Upbeat, and I cannot wait for you to hear this episode Let's get into it. John, thank you very much for joining me on Upbeat. Appreciate you being here.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: We're excited to learn from you today, uh, and I'm excited to speak with you today and just make this connection. Um, I I know that you've started multiple businesses, especially during COVID, and we're going to get into all that, but I really love starting with story and getting to know you and introducing Mm -hmm. you to the listeners so if you don't mind just taking a brief two or three minutes to share with us your story and kind of who john is and what you're up to
1: who am i right that's the question i'm still (laughs) working on that one uh no i'm you know so my name is john meese you know meese is in like you know should be the it should be the plural of moose you know goose geese moose (laughs) meese you would think but english is not consistent um so uh, I'm an author of a book, uh, that came out in July. So it's called survive and thrive. How to build a profitable business in any economy, including this one. And that last part is in the title because it's really important to emphasize the fact that including this one, yes. And even in this economy, even in this country, which by the way, no matter when you see that cover on the bookshelves, it's going to be this one, right? You know, so like five, 10 years from now, someone's going to be thinking like, well, surely not in this economy, but it says including this one. So I'm hoping they'll be like, well, maybe, maybe they'll take a chance. <laughs> on it. Um, but, you know, I, uh, I am, you know, so I'm, I'm a traditionally, I'm a traditionally trained economist. So I have a degree in economics. I work for an economics research lab. And that was kind of my, you know, the start of my professional career. And um, along the way, I mean, the whole reason why I went to college was actually because I'm a first generation college student. And I come from a family of a history of poor financial decisions. And, uh, you know, in, in the same way that some families pass on wealth from one generation to the next, my family is part of the many families who passes on poverty from one family, from one generation to the next, in terms of not just the lack of money and resources, but also just the mindset, really just the unhealthy mindsets attached to money and work that keep people trapped there. And, um, so I was meant to be the golden boy to kind of, Break out of that pattern by going to college. And I did. I went to college, got a couple of pieces of paper that say I know some things. And spoiler alert, it didn't really dramatically change my life. Like, in other words, it didn't open a bunch of doors. It didn't do all the things that it was promised to do. And so at first, I was really disappointed by that. Um, and uh, but then I started looking at like, okay, well, what does then? Right. So if it's not a college degree, like maybe once upon a time, the answer was get a college degree and that'll get you a reliable job. But that's no longer the case. So if that's not the case, then what is what is true? Of how do you break out of that cycle if you're stuck in that cycle? Because there are people all over the world, not just in America, but definitely in other other countries all over the planet, the people who are stuck in this cycle of poverty. And so, um, so uh, I that's when I really developed a, a love for entrepreneurship because I started exploring the different options. I realized that you know entrepreneurship, even in the the way that economists look at entrepreneurs. By the way, economists don't really understand entrepreneurs. Like they just like uh, they track new businesses, like and things like that, like and new startups. But there's not really like a framework for like where those come from. They just like come from market demand, you know, and things like that. Uh, but the reality is that that's not. I mean, the full story. But entrepreneurship is a great equalizer. Your business doesn't care your race, your ethnicity, your age, your gender. Uh, whether you have $5 or $5,000 in the bank, your business doesn't care. Your customers don't even really care. All they really care about is can you create a real solution to a real problem for real people? And that's, I, I fell in love with that. And so I've made it my personal mission to eradicate generational poverty by helping entrepreneurs create thriving businesses. And By the way, thriving businesses, that means not just businesses that are profitable, although yes, that's part of it, but also businesses that more importantly, fuel your life it's not enough to work 60 80 hour weeks and to raise a bunch of money to build some billion dollar startup and lose your your key relationships and your values along the way and so i'm married i have three beautiful young children all boys and um that's just you know the motivation behind everything i do is like okay i'm a provider like how do i go out there and build a business that's going to help them so i've built three businesses from scratch and I've also worked with other people to help scale their businesses, both as a consultant and also with Michael Hyatt specifically. I, you know, I was on his leadership team for a little over three years, building a membership site called Platform University, where we scaled that and then sold that to a third party. It was a multi-million-dollar acquisition, and so that was like my foray into that whole world, which is a whole different story. But so now I run uh, CoWork Inc. as my core company, and that's uh, I'm in it right now. I, we have a co-working space component to our business. We actually have physical coworking spaces. But also, I have a Thrive School podcast. If you like podcasts, check it out. Thrive School uh, news, email newsletter, and then like um, this book and more books to come.
0: Awesome! I yeah. love the breakdown. It sounds like you're up to a lot and all for really great reasons. You know, I really relate to what you share about generational poverty because that's something in my family, you know, like my sister and I were the first of our family to go to college and similar experiences as you, we got out of college, we had our degrees and we're like, uh, (laughs) this didn't (laughs) do anything. (laughs) What
1: now? Yeah. There goes four years of my life or at least four. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. four a bunch of money. Um, and now I'm working on all my own stuff anyway. And so I guess what are some some of your best tips for people, maybe even regardless of age, like whether you just graduated mm-hmm. college or whether you're 50 years old and you've been kind of doing this, this same, just get a job and work there until you retire uh, plan. Like what's, what are some things people can do to kind of break that barrier? And, and obviously it's going to be in your book too, but if you just want to sure. shed light on anything that, that could help um, someone break that barrier.
1: That's a great question. Well, I mean, I think the first thing I would say is that it's easier to start a business today than it ever has been. I mean, it requires, you know, maybe $10 for a domain name. I mean, it's like, you know, it's so cheap and easy to start a business today compared to even 10 or 20 years ago. Um, And yet, up until 20, in 2019, the US was at an, um, a 40 year low in terms of entrepreneur, new entrepreneurs, which is kind of weird because actually, entrepreneurship is weirdly glorified in our culture right now. Like celebrities like Elon Musk are on the same level as Oprah. You know, like, you know, entrepreneurs are like the celebrities of today. And yet, like everyday entrepreneurship, not the billion dollar Silicon Valley companies, but everyday entrepreneurs, the small business owners. That was at an, an all, you know, a 40 year low in 2019. Now, thankfully right now in 2021, we've we reversed that. And so we just had two consecutive quarters of breaking records in terms of new businesses started in the US and that's a wonderful thing. Let's continue that. Um, so, I mean, I think the first thing I would say is that you, it's, it's counterintuitive when you get into business because of course you wanna make money from what you're doing. You should, you, there's nothing wrong with that. You should have no shame in wanting to get paid for the work you do. And yet the path to success in entrepreneurship the path to profits is through serving people. And so, in my book, I call this the entrepreneur's paradox that entrepreneurship is entrepreneurs get paid, but they don't work for money. Like, you have to get into entrepreneurship. You have to have at the core of your business a purpose. Now, and I actually walk through, you know, I actually teach a framework for how to create a purpose statement in your business. But the short, you know, the simplest version of that is to say, I help insert real people here, you know, solve real problem with real solution and it's it's can seem like an oversimplification and also you're like why are you saying the word real over and over again well it's actually that's intentional it's a psychological trigger because it's so often when people are looking at creating a unique value proposition statement or unique selling proposition statement or just like a mission statement for their company any of those things it's easy to get caught in sort of like platitudes and fake ideas where um you forget that there are real human beings with dreams, aspirations, hopes, fears, kids, sleepless nights, jobs on the other side of your business. A lot of businesses, when they first get uh, get started, they lose, lose this very quickly. They don't intentionally throw out the fact that they're serving humans. They just start counting everything in terms of how many followers do I have? How many likes do I have? How many shares? How many customers? How many sales? Which aren't necessarily bad things to measure, but it pretty quickly people forget that those are real life human beings on the other side, and so they begin so focused on the products that they're like they're, they become all about selling products instead of solving problems. The products and services you have in your business, that's your solution to somebody's problem, but you need to make sure that you understand really well what problems people have before you try to match that to the solution. You probably heard the phrase, "If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail." I mean, it's kind of like that when you have as a business owner, if all you have are a core set of products, you're going, okay, now who can I sell these to? Then you're you're kind of trying to force it versus if you start first with, okay, who are the real people that I'm going to serve? And you get to understand them enough that you can unlock your human superpower of empathy and then understand, okay, well, what are the real problems they have in their life? What are the problems? What When they wake up at 2 a.m. sweating, staring at the ceiling, what are they worried about? How can you help them remove that problem their, from their life? Uh, those kind of things. then then your solution becomes obvious of what your products or services should be. It becomes inevitable. So that's the first thing I would see, say.
0: Awesome. Well, that was, that was like a, a mini masterclass, basically. <laughs> uh, definitely listeners. Um, if you need to rewind that and listen to that part again, you know, take notes like, and, and obviously as well, go check out his book. You know, that's going to, that's like a little taste probably. Yeah. Of the 200 pages that that are your book. <laughs> and, uh, it, there's probably so much more that you dive into as well as with other people. That's one thing too. I wanted to, uh, wanted to at least mention was, I love that your book references or or collabs with so many other entrepreneurs who I'm yes. familiar with. I think that's really cool. Well, I
1: actually, and that was intentional because honestly, well, I'll tell you this. Um, so Parker, back up to like March 2020, I opened a brand new co-working space in January and 58 days later, it was closed by executive order. Not a great start, right? Now, obviously, I'm still in the co-working space. It's doing fine. But at the time, that wasn't clear and obvious. It was not really sure what was going to happen. And so I started freaking out for a minute, but then I backed up and I said, well, wait a minute, what's the purpose of my business? Well, it's to help entrepreneurs create thriving businesses. Well, maybe a co-working space is not the best way for me to help people in my community right now, but what do they need? And I started looking at it and realizing people needed a playbook that they could reference that gave them a step-by-step guide to succeeding regardless of what the economy is doing. So I sat down and I, well, you know, my co-working space was closed by executive order, but I could still get in my, myself. In the side door, so I had a you know two thousand square foot co-working space to myself, where I was just writing every day, and I wrote the first draft of this book, Survive and Thrive. And when I wrote the first draft of it, I thought, okay, this is pretty good, but it's not enough just to reference my experience. You know, yes, I built three different companies. I built a you know coaching and online course company. I built a software company. You know, I've started to build a co-working space company. But there's so much more than that that I don't have experience with, and so I. Reached out to several dozen of um, really my mentors in business, people that I consider some of the best and brightest minds in business today, and interviewed all of them about what are they doing in their business and what have they found to be this pattern of how do they succeed themselves, but also what are their customers doing. So people like Michael Hyatt, Ray Edwards, Philip Stutz, uh, Mike McCallowitz, uh, Robert Daniel Lappin, uh, Casey Graham. You know, I interviewed about thirty of these entrepreneurs, who were all incredibly successful in completely different industries. And then I transcribed all those interviews and went back and looked at that, and I said, okay, what are the common themes? And that's what I pulled out, and that's what this book is. So you can actually go on the Thrive School podcast, and you can go back and listen to every one of those interviews if you want, but I actually distilled out of those what are the nine different things you need to do in your business, what are the nine different strategies that we need to cover, and then that's what the book is. It walks you through that. So if you know, like I love this, one of the first uh, early reviews of the book we got was from a reader saying that it was like a weekend MBA which is ironic considering my uh, opinion of higher education. But uh, <laughs> I do think that it's really like, that's a great that's a great description of it. It's just saying like, look, if you don't really know, maybe you know a little bit about business, but there's holes in your knowledge. Or maybe you don't know anything about business and you're just thinking about starting or scaling your business. Well, then this book will walk you through sales, marketing, and finance, the three most important areas in your business that help you get people's attention, turn those into customers, and then manage that money well so that you can Pay yourself, and you know, build a profitable business from scratch. By the way, the assumption here in this book is that you don't need investor funding. You don't need to go to the bank and get a fifty thousand dollars loan. You don't need to go to some venture capital investor and get them write you a million dollar check. That's a that's a different path. This book is more about saying, with the resources you have right now, how do you build a profitable business?
0: I think that's really brilliant, and I think it's something. People definitely need right now so you're on the spot with that on the on the nose with that one um I, I do want to say too um this kind of a side tangent so we could touch touch on it just briefly but the the grind that you have to be able to reach out to all those people and then get their attention and then get them on your podcast and being recorded you know a lot of people I, I'm a podcast producer and one thing that I I come across with people's concerns oftentimes is, well, how am I ever going to find anybody to interview? And more importantly than finding anybody to interview, like, how am I going to find those big name people and how am I going to actually get them on my yeah. podcast? So if you want to share just briefly, like what you did to land all those awesome, uh, entrepreneur mentors.
1: Oh, sure. Well, uh, I don't have a, I don't have a cheat code or a hack to offer you, unfortunately. <laughs> um, You know, I think, well, I will say you and I connected via Podmatch, and that's a great resource for podcast hosts or guests to connect. Um, So you can check out my Podmatch profile if you want. You can just go to johnamies.com slash Podmatch, and it takes you there. And that's a great resource. But I would say that's probably, no offense to either you or I, Parker, but (laughs) that's probably like a B-list podcaster platform, where like not an A-list podcast platform. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, like Mm -hmm. the really big, like top podcast hosts, the top best-selling authors the most sought after guests, they're not really on that platform, but there's lots of incredibly uh, successful authors, experts, psychologists, neuroscience, and that kind of stuff who are on there. So you can find people in your niche and invite them to be a guest on your podcast, which is pretty cool. But a lot of the people that I interviewed are people who are kind of hard to get a hold of. So what I did was I spent uh, five years building relationships. I mean, so that's like, there's no cheat code here. Uh, and I talk about this in my book that like relationships really lead to results. And so as part of your business strategy, you need to prioritize relationships with your customers to actually have a relationship with them, but also with peers and mentors in your industry. And so for me, I've spent the last five years getting to know a lot of these people. So I worked for three years on Michael Hyatt's leadership team. You know, I, I, worked for him. I, uh, you know, met Ray Edwards at a conference and just built up a relationship with him over several years. I never asked anything. I just built that relationship by, you know commenting on his stuff, emailing him, eventually texting him, you know, like, you know, like the, that was kind of things, you know, Pat Flynn announced that he's going to have a conference. I'm the, you know, one of the first person to buy a ticket and to be there. And he says, Oh my gosh, John, you've, you, I so appreciate how you've always showed up. I remember when you used to comment on my blog posts five years ago, you know, like um, part of it's just like consistency. And so a lot of these people, I just, I had just developed a relationship with, I mean, Casey Graham has built an incredibly successful company in gravy, uh, but when he was just starting gravy, you know, I had met him when he had, after he sold another company and I, he was one of those people we, we all get, well, a lot of people get requests like this where he said, Hey, can we meet up for coffee? I didn't charge him anything for it. We had a little bit of a strategy conversation there at the table where he said, Oh my gosh, I think you just dramatically changed the course of our business. I didn't charge him for that because I knew that there'd be a day when I would need a favor. And so, well, actually that's not why I didn't charge him. I mean, like, I don't keep a tally of like who owes me favors. Um, but when the time came where I was like, I need to get these people's attention and I reached out to them, I already had either their phone number or a private email address or just enough uh, recognition with them and their team that it wasn't very difficult to get them. I only got one, Not, I'm not trying to brag here, but just because you asked about it, I only got one no. So when I made my target list of guests for the, for the podcast, I only got, um, actually, no, I take it back. I got one no response. One no and one not right now. So Tim Desopoulos, who is the senior vice president of operations for Chick Fil A, runs the entire company for the, the entire ten billion dollar company for the Chick Fil A. He said, "I would love to. I'm just really busy right now, as you could imagine, in the middle of a pandemic when like Chick Fil A's <laughs> dining rooms are closed and that kind of stuff." And he's like, "Hey, could we like you know maybe schedule a little bit farther out?" So that was the not yet. I did not hear from uh, Marcus Limonis. I did not hear back from him, who's the host of The Prophet, and I really wanted to interview him, but I did not hear back from him. I also kind of expected that. Uh, and then I got one no um, from um, Gino Wickman, uh, who wrote the book Traction and several other books. And he has specific criteria for when he accepts an interview. Like, he won't accept an interview, and he'll tell you that right away unless you get like at least 50,000 downloads on each episode of your podcast. And this was a this podcast didn't exist yet. I was literally just like interviewing people before the podcast existed, so there were zero downloads. So yeah, I got one no, one not right now, and one no response. But otherwise, I knew who to reach out to because I'd already, they were my real life mentors. I'd already built relationships with these people.
0: Awesome. That's really, really great networking tips right there. Just to be present, get involved, be consistent. You know, that's something we all have to be working on and it'll work wonders, not even when you expect it, (laughs) you know, it'll always come back to help you tenfold later on, maybe not right at the moment, but absolutely. Well, I love that. And I did want to touch too, you know, you've created these businesses, wrote this book all during the pandemic. I want to know uh, what was going through your mind to, I guess, double down and work harder rather than, you know, Slack off and, and go watch Netflix throughout the whole lockdown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Some people got really into Tiger King or learn how to bake sourdough bread. And I wrote a book. I'm a bestseller in direct marketing. So um, that turned out okay. Uh, I, um, yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to the purpose statement. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not trying to like just be an echo chamber here, but like this, having that clarity of like what it, of like, well, selling coworking is not working right now. You know, like um, a lot of the things that I was doing didn't make sense. But rather than just like sit back up and say like, well, I could probably get a PPP loan and that'll cover some expenses and all this kind of stuff. I looked around and said, okay, what's my purpose statement? My purpose statement is I help entrepreneurs create thriving businesses. Okay. With what? Well, with training and tools. I'm like, okay, well, all right. Or on the tool side, I've got a software company called Notable. And so we built a brand new platform, content creation platform for creators. So like podcasters, like yourself. YouTubers bloggers bloggers we have a platform called Notable Press which you can learn about at notable.press which is basically a superpowered WordPress thing that allows you to publish your content also build your email list and monetize it too by having members only content that's paid behind a wall so we created that we were, we started doing live videos every single week me and my co-founder Thomas um, McGee who also lives in Boise, Idaho, where you live, Parker. Um, we did that every single week. We did a live video with our audience to, get, to just ask them, what do you need right now? What are you looking for? And we started building this platform out and literally sharing it with him when he was like rough and broken of like, here's a beta version. What do you think? Well, it really was like an alpha version. So we started, that's on the tool side of what I do. We focused on creating that platform. On the training side, I wrote this book. Uh, I created a new podcast, you know, the Thrive School podcast, which is free training. And, um, all that came back to the purpose statement of like, why I'm in business. So I think, you know, that's just, I cannot overemphasize like how important that is. Now I teach a lot more in this book in terms of more than just creating your purpose statement. But like, if you don't do that, nothing else really matters because when the going gets tough, your business is going to crumble or you are going to crumble. Um, just because you don't have clarity, by the way, um, a friend of mine, Curtis Morley, who's also got a—he's got a book called *The Entrepreneur's Paradox*, which is ironically the uh, name of the first chapter of my book. But our books came out at the same time, so we didn't know that. Um, but Curtis Morley, he often states—he'll point out, which this stat is true—is you can find this anywhere online—that you know, um, you know, most businesses, more than fifty percent of businesses c- close within the first five years. I mean, they just don't last more than five years. But the reality is, he he likes to say this, and I, I think this is really smart, so I'm going to quote him on this. He says, the reality is businesses don't close. Entrepreneurs quit. I'm going to say that again. Businesses don't close or go out of business. Entrepreneurs quit. Because an entrepreneur's job is to solve problems for a profit. And when the going gets tough or something doesn't go as planned or you know you don't have the right systems in place, then and you walk away from that then you close the business but the business closing is a symptom of the entrepreneur quitting and so that's why your purpose statement is so crucial because you're going to have to push through some hard times to be able to have the wealth generation and the lucrative success that is possible for entrepreneurs Uh, but it's not guaranteed
0: i really really love that so thank you very much for sharing and just everyone listening you know work on building your purpose statements and go go get his book to help you do that um i, I have one more question before we get into this kind of last closing segment but before we sure. do just where where's the best i guess there maybe isn't a best but where would you recommend people go get your book
1: well if you go to survive and thrive of course you'll find links there It's where you can find the book. On Amazon, Audible, uh, you know, Apple Books, Kobo, Barnes and Noble, all those places where you buy books. Wherever you buy books. Um, but you'll also find there a form where you can actually download for free, a fill in the blank playbook. And for those who are on video, I can show you what it looks like, you know, but if you're on the podcast, you just have to imagine it, but it's a one page business plan. Essentially. It's a playbook that goes along with the book that you can download for free as a PDF to fill in, to, to create your strategy for thriving, you know, in your business. And so that's a free resource, which you can download right there alongside the, where you can also purchase the book at SurviveAndThriveBook.com
0: awesome definitely go do it everyone uh, and john just before we get to this last closing segment i ha- i had kind of a curiosity question and that sure. is you know in my research trying to learn more about you before this interview i uh, stumbled on a po- another podcast episode where you mentioned you're writing more books and you've got one about the creator economy and yeah. that's obviously being a, a podcast creator like and an I guess, musician, beatboxer, that's always where my head's at. And so I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are on what what is the creator economy? Like that is just in and of itself something that kind of confuses people. And then where do you think it is right now? Where, what are your thoughts on where you think it's going?
1: Oh my gosh! Well, how much time we have to talk about that? Like an hour? Yeah,
0: it could be yeah. a whole other episode. <laughs> I could yeah, probably I get condense it.
1: it for an hour. No, I'll, I'll, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm excited about that. I mean, obviously, I built one of my companies, Notable, is built entirely on the back of serving the creator economy. So I'm I'm definitely uh, excited about the growth there. Here's the thing: over the last uh, 50 years, our world has dramatically shifted. Of course, you're like, uh, yeah, no duh. 50 years is a long time, John. That was smartphones, the internet, you know, computers, all of that. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. But take all the technology out of it for a minute. Before 1980, then the entire world of information was controlled by gatekeepers. And so if you wanted to publish a book, you had to go through one of a, you know, a core dozen or so publishers who had access to bookstores. If you wanted to, you know, publish, if you wanted to just be heard at a pulpit, you, get pulpit, you had to get approved by a bishop or a priest somewhere. If you wanted to, you know, get into politics, you had to make it past the, you know, the guard, you know, essentially the, the old guard and get their approval, no matter what industry there was there were always gatekeepers in place and very few of them with the dawn of the internet, we went into the information age, the role of the gatekeeper kind of eroded pretty quickly. Where all of a sudden you could learn, you could publish anything, anything, even if it's crazy or if it's awesome, you could publish anything and no one can stop you you know, and like, and then all of a sudden that opened this floodgate to this massive flood of information spreading all over the world, person to person without gatekeepers. Now, at first, it was very exciting, because all of a sudden, you know, you had computer scientists publishing, you know, theories about, you know, how the world works right alongside, you know, psychologists and, you know, and armchair philosophers like, you know, Aunt Susie. Um, So you had all of this going on. And it got to the point where it became very overwhelming. And so, you know, now, most of our energy is spent ignoring information headlines emails notifications text messages billboards there's a are bombarded with information so much so that we just take it for granted that it's everywhere even though that's a new thing and we're overwhelmed by it and so that is why we're right now as we speak in the midst of shifting on a global basis shifting from the age of information to the age of insight Now, the age of insight is spurred by this desire from everyday people. Everyone on the planet is going, I cannot become the expert on everything in my life. I need to find people that I trust and respect who have experience and wisdom to filter information and tell me what are the three things I need to know. So when it comes to losing weight, what are the three things I need to know? When it comes to, you know, fixing a, you know, leaky faucet in my house, what are the three things I need to know? When it comes to growing my business, what are the three things I need to know? And so we, d- yes, there are plenty of there. Are, you could search any one of those things, and there are literally ten million results on Google of how to do how to fix your faucet or grow your business or lose weight. But we're not interested in that. We're interested in the distilled insight, and that is where creators come in because creators, uh, you know, creators are the, 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 the not, not really a gatekeeper, they're the new guides who filter that information where, where it's an opt-in system where you can pick someone that you trust and follow them to learn from them. And so I think we're just at the beginning of that shift. And by the way, that's not original. I mean, the world economic forum came out last year and said, Hey, the age of information just ended the age of insight just begun, but that's a long shift. I mean, that's not something that happens overnight. So I think the reality is that the need to have individual creators creating content that's useful in different industries. And different, very specific niches is really still completely untapped. I mean, think about if you have a very specific, you know, maybe you have a, you have an allergy to a very specific rare kind of mold and you ask your doctor about it. And he's like, I don't know. I read a paper once that says mold can do this one thing. And you're like, no, like, this is a life altering thing for me. I need to know how to identify the mold, how to remove it, how to treat it. Well, there's enough people on the planet that have a similar enough condition That if one guru, if one guide can step up to the plate and be the creator that helps serve that audience, then they're going to make, they're going to solve a real problem in your life. You're going to love them for it, pay them for it. And a lot of other people will too. So I do actually have a second book. It's not uh, published yet, but you can actually get like a pre-release copy um, on my website. If you go to alwaysbeteaching.com, that's actually where you can get a a pre-release copy of... Always Be Teaching, which is an illustrated book on 50 illustrated insights on how to grow your business by creating content online. So that's my book that you're referring to that's on the creator economy. So it hasn't been published yet, but you can get a pre-release copy on my website if you're interested.
0: Awesome. Well, there you go. (laughs) I'm definitely going to do that. Uh, That whole topic fascinates me and it definitely could be another hour's worth of of conversation, uh, breaking it down and uh, I'm thankful that you touched on it there for a few minutes and thanks for being on this podcast too. I've got one last pleasure. little, one last yeah. little segment of, of, uh, faster questions. And then I'm going to do some beatboxing. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that. Out. I've heard about this
1: beatboxing thing. It's going to happen.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks. Let's get to it. Um, John, what makes you upbeat? Um,
1: uh just life. It's so, there's, it's so full of it. I mean, like we get, life is given to us, but we get to choose whether to live or not. And so I try to live with the life I've got.
0: Love it. Who is your number one influence or inspiration? Uh,
1: I know it's cheesy, but it's true. Christ, you know, I'm, uh, I'm an Eastern Orthodox Christian and there's just such a richness and depth to the life that Christ lived and the guidance that he left for us that, um, that he's definitely my,
0: my greatest inspiration. Awesome. What music uh, do you listen to to stay upbeat and motivated?
1: Uh, I really like uh, a few different, I will say right now I'm listening to a playlist on Spotify that's called Folk Pop, which is like a fun crossover. Um, So I've really enjoyed that one. But actually every single morning I listen to Awesome Mix Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, from guardians of the galaxy that's like my like start the day playlist so that's a good one
0: yeah (laughs) well that's that's interesting too because i know you're near uh nashville so you've been around music a ton
1: (laughs) oh yes and this by the way in this area you don't ask someone you don't say hey do you do you play any instruments you just say you meet someone and you say oh what do you play that's just kind of like it's assumed that you play something in case you're wondering i play uh ukulele mandolin and fiddle yeah
0: awesome (laughs) Thank you. Um, okay, uh, what's your favorite word?
1: Uh, I don't know why this occurred to me when you said that. No, my favorite word is definitely thrive. I mean, obviously, like that's my whole brand, my whole business is built around that. I'll tell you why I love that word. The short version is that if you imagine something thriving, like imagine a plant that's thriving, and immediately your your mind conjures this this plant that's like green and luscious, and there's fruit, and it's surrounded by other good life, and it's just such a good metaphor for life that I try to apply that to business and personal life.
0: Love it. Um, do you have a favorite social media platform and where would you recommend people follow you and connect with you?
1: Well, in 2019, I deleted all of them. Um, and so, <laughs> and I've talked about that in other podcasts and on my blog, but I have since gotten back on LinkedIn. I do like LinkedIn. You can actually go to mees.link If you want to find me, that'll take you straight to my LinkedIn profile. Please connect, say, Hey, uh, but I like LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much again for being on Upbeats. uh, And I'll close this out by uh, putting your name in a beatbox. Okay. Let me change this setting real quick on Zoom because sometimes it doesn't come through. (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) awesome thanks for being on upbeat appreciate it thank you parker keep up the good work thank you so there you have it, my interview with John Meese. And of course, we'd both love to connect with you. You can find me at my website, parkercane.co, parkercane.co, and John on LinkedIn or at his website, surviveandthrivebook.com. And I would definitely recommend going to that website, surviveandthrivebook.com, because that's where you can get his new book. If you enjoyed this episode, or got value from this episode, then please share it with a friend and leave an upbeat review that is always so much appreciated. You're the best. I'll see you next week. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. Subscribe at parkerk.co.